0: Okay, we're going to read the Bible. And we are reading 2nd Peter, no, that's wrong. 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 12. Okay. And so if you haven't brought your Bible, there's one in front of you in the seat on the little shelf. If you did bring a Bible, get it out or turn it on. And then here we go. So this is 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 4 to 12. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word of God, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God.
1: Thank you, Philip. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Rigdon Park Church. Uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh. <laughs> Go Eagles! Right. Come on, Todd. No, I know, I know, I know. Some of us are excited. (laughs) But hey, listen, uh, as a community, as a church, we are, first and foremost, uh, we're not an institution. We're not such something you join. We're a family. And uh, in our mission statement that we honor God, one of the ways we honor God is by building up families. Now that starts with us as the church family and then by building up individual families. And so today I want to celebrate our families, because today we have one of our new members is here, Wesley. Wesley, where are you? Where's Wesley, Ryan? Is he not? He's out there. He's fellowshipping. He's getting to know people. This is Wesley. Wesley Graham, born on January 15th to... Katie and Ryan, and so uh, we, we mentioned him when he was born, but we want to celebrate because the day is here, and uh, you'll have to meet him out there, maybe at the Connect Center. <laughs> and then second, and i got to pronounce this name right, Ayanna Rose Marshall was born on January 17th to the Marshalls, and Gabrielle, is she in here, or is she back serving with the kids? She might be serving with the kids. So if you know Gabrielle... Uh, say congratulations. And so it's a great opportunity for us to, uh, to support each other and to, to be a part of family together. And so guys, it's good to see you here. Hey, if you want to grab your Bible, like we said, there are Bibles under the chair. That's awesome. In front of you, uh, you can grab that. If you do not have a Bible, uh, feel free to take it. Uh, take it with you. We want to get into the Word of God and be a community on Sunday morning that really studies scripture, don't just trust me. Uh, I can err. Ask my wife. I mean, honestly, I can err. and There's many things I could even say up front, and I don't intend to be a heretic in any way. But that's that's possible, and so we all want to test and, and approve what is said. And so the way we do that is, is one, by asking the Lord to, to bless the reading of His Word and to meet us here, and then, two, by Each individually getting into the Word of God and and listening and studying and understanding and applying. And I'll tell you, the best place that happens uh, is in community. We're going to talk about that today. The best place that happens, whether it's in a growth group or whether it's just at home or in community or two guys getting together and reading the Word of God together, something that happens when the Word of God and community is together, God shows up and He works and speaks in ways that He doesn't in your own quiet time. Now, I've had some great quiet times. And imagine if you've got into the Word of God, there are moments, you know, where your heart's just alive and there's moments where you're dead. And you know what you need in that moment? Someone who's alive. (laughs) You need someone that God's stirring their hearts and you learn more from the passion and what God's teaching them really than just what He's teaching you. You with me? So, as we gather on Sunday, it's important we get into it because I think there's power in God's Word and there's power as we come together in community to hear from the Lord. So we're walking through First Peter. And let me kind of share just quickly where we are in the trajectory of the letter and kind of what we're looking at today. That uh, beginning in kind of verse 12 of chapter 1, what, what Peter starts to describe is our new identity. That because we've been born again, we're now a part of a new family. And the language that he uses, it's pretty unique, and we haven't gotten into this too deeply, but the language that Peter uses is actually language that comes from the Old Testament. We're going to see that today, that the language he uses to describe us, to describe Gentiles, I imagine most of us here do not have a Jewish origin, so we're all Gentiles. And we've been grafted into the family of God through Jesus Christ in the language that God uses and Peter uses to describe us would have been in the first century absolutely shocking that God would call us royal or look at us and say, these are priests offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, that you and I constitute a holy ethnos. Ethnos means nation. That even though we may come from different backgrounds, different experiences, because we are in Christ, The church is a brand new nation. And because it's a new nation, we have a new way of belonging. You see, in our culture, there's different ways of belonging. And maybe you've kind of battled with that. In Evergreen, there's ways of belonging. I imagine there's areas of belonging in this community that if you have certain things or if you grew up in a certain way, maybe you're accepted in that community. Or maybe if you fight against that, if you rebel, you're accepted in that community. And each community has its own kind of ways of defining what it means to be in and what it means to be out. But see, in the church, we don't define ourselves that way. It's not according to what we've done. Rather, we're defined according to what Jesus Christ has done. And so each one of us is a holy nation together because we belong to Christ. And so what we're going to get into, I love this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 is a picture of who we are as the church, but also a picture of what we're supposed to do as the church. Because of who we are, we have a new way of living. And so let's jump in. And before we do that, I want to pray, get my mind in the right place. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you this morning that as we gather, you tell us where two or more are gathered together. Father, you're with us. Tell us in Ephesians that uh, in the church, the manifest presence of God is made known. That, Lord, you like to show up in ways when we gather that is unique to what is happening today. That we're not here by mistake. Instead, Father, you are moving. Your Spirit is alive. You're speaking to us. And so, Father, help us to have ears that hear, hearts that are humble and open to receive what you have to say. Father, teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So watch this, verse 4. He says in verse 4, describing this this new community that we are, he says to us, as you come to him. And notice the way that he describes Jesus. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. See, in this Beginning of verse 4, Peter opens up this new metaphor. And you're going to see a lot of stone language, which seems kind of strange. You know, why all of a sudden is he talking about a living stone? And then later on, he talks about a cornerstone that is chosen and precious, a stone that causes some to, to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. But for those who believe, it's a stone that will never cause us to be ashamed, that will never be ashamed when we're living by faith or obedient to Christ. And so he's using this new metaphor that what he's doing is he's bringing in this Old Testament language, but he's also bringing this language of building a new building, that what God is doing is not only raising up a holy ethnos, in this community, in the church, he's building a new kind of temple, a spiritual house, a spiritual building, and the foundation of that building is a cornerstone. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, and this cornerstone is Jesus Christ, and so Jesus is that foundation, but notice in verse 4 he says, "As you come to him, when you become a Christian, it's not a one-time event coming to him. You know giving my life to God. I accepted Jesus Christ. I know for me it was in 1997, 18 year- old kid had no clue what I just did, but God began to change and to shape my life, to send me into college seminary and all that kind of good stuff but It wasn't just a one-time coming to Jesus. Rather, the language here, that word come, is in the present voice, meaning as you continually come to Him. Now, in English, we don't have that kind of present voice, a continual habitual action. But in the Greek, what Peter's saying is, as you're continually coming to Him. What is the Christian life? See, the Christian life is a continuation of coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus. You get up, you come to Him. You go to work, you come to Him. You come home before you walk in the door, come to Him. That's the constant process of the Christian life. It's, it's not just coming to Him and then moving on to something more. But rather, it's a constant reminder that we're constantly coming to Him. And in Mark chapter 3, when Jesus came and chose His 12 disciples, this is the language that Mark uses. It says, and He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. You hear that language? The sole purpose that he chose the twelve wasn't just to send them out, but first and foremost was that they might be with him. And so Bergen Park Church, are we a people who want to be with him? Here's what's weird about the church. A lot of things are weird. So if you're new to church, it's okay. You're right. There's a lot of things that are weird. But one of the things the church does is instead of really drawing people to Jesus, we draw Jesus, people to his benefits. Does that kind of make sense? Instead of drawing people to Jesus, we'll say, hey, come to church and you'll be a better dad. And we'll market Jesus, we'll market his benefits. Come to Jesus and you're going to get your finances in order because we got financial peace, you know? Uh, come to Jesus and, and work is going to become a joy. And instead of pointing people to Jesus, we point people to his benefits. And I think one of the reasons, can I kind of share why I think we do that? Is because as a community, if we're not coming to Jesus, we have nothing to offer but his benefits. Does that make sense? The reason I think we do that is that's safe. (laughs) Because I don't have to engage with you and the Lord together. I don't have to get into Scripture. I don't have to pray for you. Instead, all I have to do is say, hey, just go to Jesus. He'll fix it. And so what the church does, and, and kind of check this. You listen to messages, sermons. Often what we're talking about are the benefits, but we're not talking about Him. And yet, why did Jesus come? He came to be with us. He was Emmanuel. God with us. The Word became flesh. And literally, John in first, first John says, "In the Word tabernacled. Old Testament language. I mean, the world word, word Jesus dwelt among us; that Jesus came to be with us. And so, if we're going to live in a world that may be hostile towards what we believe, if we're going to live in the margins of society and live according to a new king, then we have to come to Him. The Psalmist says it this way: Psalm seventy-three, verse twenty-eight says, "For me, it is good to be near God." James says, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And then Jesus, in in, uh, John chapter 5, verse 39, said it this way. Speaking to the religious leaders of His day, He said this. He said, you guys search the Scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. So here are these religious guys spending all their time reading the Word of God. And you'd think, okay, if you're reading Scripture, then maybe... You'd be near to God, and yet he says, you're as far away from me as possible. You come to the Scriptures thinking that by them you may have eternal life. And then listen, it is they that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me. Isn't that strange? It's possible to make the, use the Bible in such a way that we avoid Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That happens to us too that we can come to the Word, we can get our daily Bible reading in, but we don't come to Him. Because see, when you come to Him, here's what happens. You see yourself. Because you see Him, you see His love, you see His grace, you see His holiness, and you know to be in proximity with someone like that, I've got to start to change. Because to be in the presence of someone that great, that majestic, and not to change means you haven't come to Him. Because if we really came to Him, into God's presence there would be a desire to change. And so he's saying the secret to the Christian life is not a secret, it's just coming to Him. Getting to know Him, approaching Him with humility. Now, what does that look like? So I want to jump back, if you go down in verse 1 and 2, I want to pick up four things that it looks like when when we talk about coming to Him, what does that mean? And the first thing you'll see in verse 1. He says in verse 1, And so put away all malice, all deceit, Hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You know, a lot of these are internal sins. Now, some people are malicious, and they're malicious to your face. Are you with me? Now, most of us in this room are not that bold. So when we are malicious, we are malicious in our hearts. What does it mean to be Malicious. Maybe it means just simply to celebrate when somebody else fails, like the patriots. Not calling out your sin at all. And then he says deceitful, meaning we don't honor the truth. Slander. How many of us... Quickly say something about someone else. Oh, hey, let me tell you about her. Hey, let's pray for her. But let me share some information here. How often you know, does our heart reveal what we're really after? In the language that he describes here, envy. Hey, this is something I want I don't have it. But do we examine how much those attitudes, behaviors dominate our lives? Do we get rid of it? Now, it's interesting as we're entering this tax season... I don't have a CPA, if you know one, uh, give me their number. But as you enter the tax season, you know, you, you want somebody that's, that's kind of combing through your taxes. I, I'm not that bright when it comes to taxes and tax law and all that kind of stuff, so I want somebody looking. And you know, I want them to be meticulous. Because I don't want to pay any more than I have to and I'd love to get back as much as I can. Now, the reason we do that is I, I see my finances as precious. Well, see, what he's saying here is, do you see your soul is precious? You know, we're willing to take our, our time and our look at our taxes, maybe even get an extension because I need a little more time. But are we willing to look at the heart and say, where is there malice and deceit, hypocrisy? I'm wearing a mask. I'm saying, on the outside, I want you to see me as, as this kind of person, but on the inside, that's not who I am. Are we willing to look at that and then throw off As Peter says before, every empty way of life handed down to us from our forefathers. Because the reason we live like this is the reason we pursue malice and envy, all that kind of stuff. You know why? Because we're looking to save ourselves. And and it feels good. I'll tell you, when you tear somebody down, come on. Sometimes it feels good. Because what you're doing in that moment is you're building yourself up. Because see, if I can look down on you, then I don't have to look at me. And if I don't have to look at me, then I don't have to be honest about me. And if I can look at your marriage or your finances, your kids, and say, you know, if they only parented better, Scripture a day keeps the devil away. I don't have to look at me. And so how often do we search the heart and say, okay, what's really going on in my life, and why am I doing the things that I do? Because I'm trying to find a way out. I'm trying to find a way to save myself, to make myself feel better. What's the solution? Here's the second thing. One, we've got to examine our lives. But two, he says in verse two, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. That if we've been born again into a new family, it means that we've got to grow up into a new way of living. Now, the way you do that is not just by trying harder. Notice the language. It's by desiring the right things. Garbage in, garbage out. Right stuff in, right stuff out. And it's interesting, what what Peter says is, hey, don't just examine your behavior, but look at your behavior and then start addressing your desires. Because why do you do the things you do? Because you want to. Are you with me on that? Paul always says, you know, there's things I don't want to do, but I find myself doing. And the things I don't want to do, I do, but the things I do want to do, I don't do. And and yet the reason we we do the things we don't want to do is because we want to do them. We have to admit there's a desire within us. The reason we have these challenges and attitudes is because you're cultivating those attitudes. Maybe it's because of what you listen to. Television, you know, what you see, what you see is valuable in the world, that's going to start discipling your heart. The friends that you have, the people that you listen to, they're discipling your heart. They're telling you, hey, this is important, this isn't important. Well, if we're going to cultivate a desire to love God, to get into His Word, then we've got to be surrounded by people that are going to point us in a direction that's going to love God. We've got to cultivate desires. And then we have to crave Pure spiritual milk. Now, it's interesting. The only place that the early listeners of this this book would have gotten pure spiritual milk is here. They didn't have Bibles. So what he's saying is when you come into the gathering, the assembly, the gathering of the body of Christ, crave what you hear. Long for the pure spiritual milk. I imagine, you know, paper was very rare. So I imagine I could just see somebody that had some papyrus just writing every verse of Scripture down, trying to memorize, trying to hide it in their hearts, because they couldn't take a Bible home. They had to hide it. And so, church, are we a community of people that are learning to crave what changes our heart, to desire the things that come from God, and like newborns, to crave milk so that we can go on to the meat? Have you heard that phrase? You know, you should have grown up. Now, meat, I want to understand Meat doesn't mean what I'm giving you today. Today I'm giving you milk. You know why? Because I had to eat some meat. What happens when you eat meat and you digest it? It means you can feed someone else. And when he describes meat, he's saying you need milk right now because you need someone to teach you. You need someone to guide you. But the goal of someone guiding you is so that you can fish yourself. Not to just give someone a fish, but to learn to cultivate a passion so that we can pull out of the Word of God what's going to feed us. And so not only do we desire it, but are we growing up in such a way that we're not just relying on others. There's a way of having a pope and not being the Catholic Church. And I'll tell you, many times we'll listen to our favorite teachers, and we'll think of some denominations having these certain leaders, and they just listen to them, but we do the same thing. Because when we don't get into the Word of God and allow the Spirit to teach us, then what we're doing is just listening to the words of others. And that's valuable, but we have to cultivate that heart. And so how do we grow up? We've got to examine our lives, cultivate a desire, and then we've got to come to Him. And so let's jump back in verse 4. As you come to Him, a living stone, but notice, rejected by men. But in the sight of God chosen and precious. Then he starts to describe, because we're coming to the living stone, you also, you yourselves like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, what is he describing? He's saying Jesus is our chief cornerstone. He's the stone on which we build our lives. Now, if you look down in verses 6 and 7, he starts taking some quotes from the Old Testament, and he describes what this cornerstone, what this living stone is. And it says, verse 6, "...behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." Verse 7, "...so the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Notice the language he uses to describe who Jesus is. He is chosen and precious, but to the world, he's rejected. John says Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Think of his own family. James was his brother, and yet his brother rejected him. His mother and and father come to him and say, hey, come and be with us. And he says to them, no, I have to be with my family. They didn't understand who he was, and here's why. Because Jesus would not be the Messiah they wanted him to be. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God will not be what we want him to be. He can only be who he is. And if we come to him, we have to come to him on his terms. Now, that may seem harsh, but you have the same standard. <laughs> right? That sounds harsh, right? You know, you've got to come to God on his terms, but you have the exact same standard. I can't call you Bill if your name is Brian. But what if I say I want to call you Bill? I've got to come to you as you are. I've got to come to you knowing and getting to know your history, getting to know your passions and desires. Because if somebody just is is simply coming to know you to use you, that's not really getting to know you. Or getting to know you in a way that fits with who they want you to be, that's not getting to know who they are. And then likewise, as we come to him, the living stone, we have to know him for who he is, which means we've got to be humble and admit that we need him. And so he calls him here. A rejected stone. And see, he was jack- rejected because when he came to his own, see, his own had expectations. Hey, Jesus, am I'm going to give my life to you, you better fix my marriage. She better start doing, he better start doing what I want that person to do. Or if I give my life to you, life better get better. And here's the danger, church, of what we do as a church. On the one hand, we say to the world, hey, come to Jesus and get the benefits. Well, what happens when the benefits don't come? There's a lot of teachers out there today that will tell you what God is after isn't His glory, but your glory. What He's after is if you have just enough faith, you'll have a great marriage, great relationships, money, everything's going to work out, you're never going to get sick. You just have to have enough faith. And so instead of pointing people to Jesus, we point them to the benefits, but Jesus is the benefit. Because, see, when you're sick, what you need is Jesus. Now, I know I want to be healed, right? But who is Jesus? He is the healer. And I may see the physical problem that I'm dealing with is my biggest challenge. But see, underneath that physical problem may be some spiritual realities. There may be deeper issues that, that God sometimes allows things into our lives so that we start addressing and we realize, you know, even though I've trusted in Jesus Christ, He's really not my foundation. And the reason that things are kind of going awry in my life is a storm's come and I'm on the sand. Are you with me? That that in my heart I say, you know, hey, on Sunday morning I'm trusting in God. But when things really go wrong, what is it I'm turning to as my foundation? What what am I trusting in? What am I looking to? Because when it says in verse 7 that the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, what he's saying is all of us have a foundation stone. It's not like Christians trust in Jesus and the unbelieving world just trust in themselves. No, everybody is building their life on something. You with me? And so Jesus said in Matthew, you can either build your life on the sand, and then when the storms come, you're going to find that your life is going to be unstable, or you build your life on the rock. Now, the one thing he doesn't say is if your life is on the rock, no storms will come. Storms are coming. You're not going to escape the storms of life. But what happens is when your life is built on Jesus, Jesus becomes more precious, more real, and more dear to you than anything else. And so that's why he says down in verse 8, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. They stumble because they disobey the word, which was what they were destined to. I, I I didn't tell you the truth. Where was that verse? Six. There it is. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Why? Because he withstands the test of time. There are a lot of things we build our life on, but will they stand the test of time? Can they support the weight of your life? Now, in World War II, one of the challenges they had, you can imagine all these small towns in France and Germany, As they're traveling through the countryside and these huge tanks and artillery are moving through, the bridges that were designed to support maybe a wagon, a carriage, some people were not designed to hold tanks. And so if you took a tank over one of those bridges, it could not support the weight and it broke. Well, often in life, what we're doing is we're laying these foundations and and they can support us in our 20s and 30s, but then cancer comes and then struggles in marriage come, then kids come, right? They test you. And you find that the stuff you're building your life on, you know, just doesn't, it, it doesn't hold. And then you go to the media and the media, just ignore that. Just, just be happy. Well, how? Well, just, just ignore the stuff that's going on in your life. Just don't pay, you know, just don't pay attention to it. But w- what are you building your life on? You're building your life on a dream. I'm just going to pursue my own happiness, but it can't support the weight of your life. I mean, just watch celebrities. What happens? The bridge falls, eventually. Because there's certain laws to relationships. There's laws in life, whether you're a Christian or not. You break those laws, life breaks. Not because God's punishing you, but just when you take a car. Imagine you're driving, and sometimes I know my wife tells me to slow down. And you see that curve? It says 15. The reason it says 15 is you go 30, and God doesn't have to punish you. (laughs) Physics will punish you what happens? You go too fast, that car is going to be in the ditch. You're going to hit somebody coming the other direction. God's law is the same way. God doesn't have to break your arm to get your attention. You break his laws, what's going to happen is you're going to curse yourself. Just as when I take that curve, I curse my car because I'm going to lose my wheels. My I'm going to run into something. Instead, when we don't trust Him, build our foundation on him, what, what happens is we're bringing destruction into our lives. It may look like the 10 plagues. What was the story of the ten plagues? When you disobey God, when you ignore Him and build your life on other things, destruction comes and it adds up upon itself. And so what He's saying in here is we're all building on something, but are we building on the living stone, the cornerstone? Now, what's a cornerstone? Just quickly. You know, the cornerstone was in an ancient building, the most precious stone. You know, if people uh, spent a long time looking at different materials, and some some of you may have built a house and you're looking for reclaimed wood. You know, you're looking for different materials to add into your house and you want just that right look. Well, when you're looking at a cornerstone, that's kind of what you're looking for. You're looking for a stone that is precious because it's going to set the strength and the parameters of your building. And so it was the first stone that you chose, and yet it was a stone that often wasn't seen because it laid... The foundation and everything else was built off of the stone. So imagine the story that he's describing. Here is a, a room full of master builders, and they're all looking at these materials that are laid out in front of them. Different stones and materials, and yet there's one stone that none of them want. And yet the master builder who taught all of them walks in, and instead of looking at the things that they have chosen, he goes over and takes the one they rejected, and he uses it to build St. Peter's Basilica. Right? He uses it to build the most majestic building. And all these other builders are thinking, you're crazy. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul describes this same kind of picture. And he says that the gospel to those who are perishing is foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. For the Jews demand signs, the Greeks wisdom, but we preach Christ, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, why did they reject Jesus? Because they wanted something else and they weren't willing to let God be God the Jews demand signs. I want to see miracles. If you exist, you got to show up on my terms. What did the Greeks like? They liked Sophia. They liked wisdom. Logos. They wanted to argue. They wanted an argument. Jews wanted sign. God gave us a person to be with. He gave us a relationship because here's the thing. You can fool people with signs. Do you know that? Jesus said to a group of people who cast out demons in his name, I've never done that. So these are advanced people. I never knew you. Go away from me. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you have, are you ready for this? The faith to move Bergen Peak. That's the improvised version. But have not love. If you have the faith to move mountains, but have not love. you are nothing. It is possible to do tremendous signs and wonders in God's name, but not to be with him. That's dangerous. Because see, Jews want signs. I want God to show up this way. Greeks want wisdom. What do you want? What is it that you're saying to God? God, you've got to show up in this way, or I'm not going to trust you. You with me? Well, you got to look at the, the cornerstone. you got to look at your foundation and say, Lord, am I really trusting? Am I giving my life to you? Have I been crucified with Christ? Which means Jason's dead. And by that, what that means is he's alive now. Because, see, instead of just trusting in my wisdom, I'm saying, okay, God, you're my heart. You're my life. I'm going to set you apart as Lord. Not my desires, not my wisdom from my 20s, my 30s, not what this guy says. This guy said, I'm going to trust the one that rose from the dead. I'm going to build my life on you. All of us are building on some cornerstone, but is that cornerstone Jesus? What are we building our lives on? And then beyond that, notice he calls him twice precious. It's not enough to believe. Jesus, you have to believe to such an extent that he becomes precious. You with me? It's not enough to believe. The demons believe, James says, and you know, they act on it. They shudder. But they're not saved. You know why? Because the demons do not find Jesus precious. What is Jesus? He is precious. When something is precious, you will devote everything else to it. That first child comes. Man, precious, right? You build walls up. Keep that kid away from the world. That first child comes in. You know, everything that comes near it, you you are protecting. That child is precious. Everything is invested into that child. You hear one little sound. Remember that? had that first child, right? Any little sound, you're like in there. What's going on? Are they okay? It's precious. Your time, your attention, your devotion, everything else shuts off. That one child is the most important thing because that's where your heart is. It's precious. What's precious drives your time. It drives your attention. It drives your money. It drives your family because it matters. I mean, imagine if one of you, maybe it's your spouse or a loved one, got sick. And the doctor said, hey, there's good news and there's bad news. Good news, we've got medication, and this is treatable. Bad news is medication is probably going to cause you to go bankrupt. you to lose your house, 401k, everything that you have saved. If that was your husband, your wife, your child, what would you do? I'll tell you, I'd be like, hey, no brainer. I, I'll live in a tent. You know, in-laws, we're coming. Here we come. I'll tell you why. Because my wife is more precious to me than the 401k. And and there's no no argument in my heart. I'm going to pour those resources out because I love her, and I love my children. I love my family, and I want them to be well. And if there's an opportunity, I will sacrifice what was once precious for what is most precious. But when it comes to Jesus, you know, when, when God calls us to obey in certain areas, and there's tension... Do you know why there's tension? Because what he's calling you to give up is too precious. You with me? You know, sex in marriage. No, God, I'm not going to do that. What you're saying is the way I do sex is more precious than you. Money. God, I'm not going to pray and say, Lord, would you just show me? What do you want me to give to to the work of the kingdom? I mean, don't just listen to me. Get into the Word and say, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to use our resources? What if in our family we set aside money just to bless people in our neighborhood? Maybe consider that ways in which you can serve others or maybe other communities and say, this year, 2% of our income, we're going to just set aside to help other people. Maybe it's a struggling single mom or single dad, somebody going through an illness, or even just to bless the community. What if our finances, what if we didn't see our finances as most precious, but Jesus, I think it would change the way that we start to see everything and we'd start investing our lives in the kingdom of God. We would become, I think when you find Jesus precious, what Peter describes. Notice what he says in verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And what does a priest to do but offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ? What God is doing through the church, and not just through Bergen Park Church, but through the corporate church, is He's laying us on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And each one of us is being built together with all our talents and abilities and see where the spiritual house is, the presence of God is. You know, in the Old Testament, it was come and see. Did you know that? Come to the temple and see because you had to go to the temple and make sacrifices to approach God. And so God was in one place. But you know what happens in the New Testament? It's not come and see anymore. Church, go and be. We are the presence of God. When we are gathered, the presence of God shows up in ways He doesn't show up when I'm alone. Now, sometimes God will show up in miraculous ways when I'm alone, but I'll tell you, there's nothing, nothing, that compares to what God wants to do when there's men and women and children all setting their hearts on Him, singing in one accord, and confessing their love and devotion to God. God works in miraculous ways. And see, I see it in you. I do. Because sometimes I walk up here and I'm dead, church. Can I say that sometimes? There are Sundays. You ready? Elders, close your ears. I don't want to be here. I want to stay in bed. Right? Because I'm a person, okay? And I get the same way. I get tired. I get worn out. I think I don't want to stand in front of people and share my heart today, Lord. But I'll tell you what happens, what what encourages me so much when I find myself in those moments where I start to kind of wear down, is it's the way that God's working in your life. I see the manifest presence of God. I see someone serving and sacrificing and and, and and doing more and giving as much as they can and loving and forgiving. And I see families reconciling, husbands and wives going to counseling and starting to, hey, tell me what version of the Bible I need to read. Or kids praying with their parents. And I see each one of us responding to the presence of God because what I'm seeing is not just what you're doing, I'm seeing God. Because the only reason you do that is because God is at work in your life. Are you with me? And you long to know God as Father. You long to confess your sins. You long to gather together. You do not want to give up meeting together. But sometimes we get depressed, and I need a little God through you to encourage me. What God is doing is building us into a spiritual house. We need each other. To do what? To offer, did you notice, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Why are they acceptable? Because Jesus Christ is acceptable. And what God has done is he's taken all my history and all my my mistakes. And he has forgiven me, adopted me, empowered me with spiritual gifts so that I might go out into this community and into this church and display his presence. That we have the privilege, people, of spreading the presence of God everywhere we go. We are his fragrance. That's good. You know when you smell somebody? Do you do that? Okay. You know, somebody walks by and you get the stink after, you know, it kind of lingers. We are to be that after stink of God. The aroma that is pleasing in His sight. Listen, it doesn't matter if they reject you. It's okay, they rejected Jesus, and yet He was still precious. Why do we base it on how people respond? Stop. It's how God responds. And see, if Jesus was chosen and precious and He laid down His life for you, Church, you are chosen and precious. And the gifts you have are not insignificant. Whether you feel insignificant or not, your spiritual gifts offered to God as an acceptable sacrifice are powerful and effective to accomplish what God desires. you with me? Do not doubt what God's given you. Because in doubting yourself, you're doubting God. Now, why don't we live like that? Just real quickly, and then we're going to celebrate communion. Jump down. And notice what he says our role is. In verse 9, he says, But you, church, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own, meaning God's own possession. And this is why, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'll tell you, there are times that I love to declare Forgive me, the excellencies of Tom Brady. I'm sorry. I'll tell you why. Because I've watched Tom versus Time. And I've watched the two Bills on ESPN. And I love to watch some Patriots. And I declare the excellencies. And and, you know, I've never gone to a class on declaring the excellencies of the Patriots. You know, I can stand in front of a room full of Broncos, fans and be rejected. (laughs) <laughs> my masculinity, my manhood is not, not tarnished in any way. Why is that? Because I find them precious. And, and, and listen, I, I know it's not the exact same thing. I mean, the rejection isn't the same. Hopefully, you're still going to love me. Maybe. When you find something excellent, you have to talk about it. So maybe the problem isn't learning how to talk about it. Maybe it's the problem is we've got to find it excellent. Maybe we don't believe we were in darkness and now we're in light. And maybe it is that we're walking too much in darkness and we're not walking in light. You know, if I started walking in light, maybe I'd start declaring some excellencies because I can see. Because things will go better when you're walking in the light. You don't run into things. You don't stumble and fall. And then notice how he ends that verse, the one that called you out of darkness into not just light. What kind of light, church? Wondrous, marvelous, beautiful That's not information, that's inspiration. That's not just understanding, that's worship, that's knowledge. That's the heart coming alive to the preciousness of Jesus. Why do we gather? Why do we get in small groups, why do we get in his word? We've got to discover that he is precious. And we've got to speak into each other's lives and say, look at his wondrous grace, look at the way that God is changing my heart. And then church, we've got to be willing to look at the stones under which we stand and say, are these really chosen and precious? And then would I repent? You know, growth in the Christian life is two things, repentance and faith. That's it. What's repentance? Admitting that what I'm standing on the foundation, it's not going to bring me joy and peace and life. I've got to admit, you know, God, this is what I'm building my life on. And then faith, I want to trust in you. What does it mean to trust in? It means to lean not on your understanding, but on his, and in all your ways, acknowledge him. God, I want to acknowledge you in my family, in my health, the way I see people, the way I go to work, the way I come home from work, and sometimes I'm going to fail. But here's the good news, church. You know how you grow is through humility, not through perfection. You're going to fail. But what do you run to? When you fail, what do you run to? Do you run to what's precious? Well, if you run to Jesus, every time you fail, he'll become more precious. Because he's the only thing that you can fail, and he will not reject you but he will give you more grace. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what leads us to repentance is kindness. The kindness of God. Could we come today as we celebrate communion and approach the kindness of God? You know the way you do that? By confessing your sin. You know what God opposes and is angry towards? A refusal to admit my brokenness. It's the only thing that God can't overcome. But when I come to him and say, God, you know what? I'm living in hypocrisy. I'm not who I claim to be. But Lord, I want to be who you've called me to be. I want to trust you. When you come to the communion table and just say, Lord, I I lay this down. Would you come in and show me who you are and change me and allow me to live in a way that honors you? You know what he's going to do? He's going to respond. Would we be willing to do that today? I want to invite those that are going to serve communion. Would you come forward? Would the worship team come up? As we celebrate communion at Bergen Park Church, what we do is a process called intinction. We want to encourage you uh, as as we prepare this time to spend some time asking the Lord, Lord, what is it that I need to admit? What is it I need to confess? And then to come forward. If you've received Jesus Christ, we want you to know uh, the elements are available to you, but we want to come and reflect and realize what God has done. And so when the Lord leads, we want to encourage you to come forward. But if you want to also stay where you are, I want you to know there are those that are in the back. If you'll just raise your hand, uh, they'll see you. They'll get to you. Just give them a little bit of time, and they'll come. They'll serve you, and they'll meet that need. So let me pray for us as we, uh, we share what God has done. Father, I'm reminded that that story of a man is just going through a field, and he finds this treasure, and he, he sees it, and he knows its value or a pearl of great price, and he sells everything he has just to have it. Lord, would our hearts become alive to the preciousness of Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, would you show us the beauty of Jesus? Like Moses, would we be so bold as to say, Father, show me your glory. Reveal your presence to us. May the cross not be foolishness, but Lord, would it be a fragrant sound? Would it be beautiful in our ears. And Father, would we confess today that there's so much we listen to. And Lord, it's not precious. It's not lifting us up. And so, Father, we want to reject those things, walk away from malice and deceit, and crave the longing of pure spiritual milk. Father, guide us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done together.